In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's uh, a lot of time devoted to one particular story that Jesus told. First, he tells it to the crowd, and then he tells it to his disciples, which by this point in the Gospels includes the 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Luke points out that it also includes this strange group of, of women, Susanna, Joanna, and Mary of Magdalene, who had been like possessed by seven demons and was likely a prostitute. We'll read the story from uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him. So he tells the story to the multitudes, and then he tells it to his disciples later. Uh, they gathered together about him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood there on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, check this out, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed, and he sowed, and, and some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured the seed. Some fell on stony paths, on, on stony places, where they did not have much dirt, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. When I was in college, I was a part of this wonderful parachurch organization that brought the, the gospel to high school students in secular high schools. And uh, the idea was that we would uh, keep it simple. In fact, my area director even had an acronym that he gave me, K-I-S-S, -S, Keep It Simple Stupid, Keep It Simple Stupid, which in my mind, and I think maybe in, in others' minds, reduced the gospel to a simple equation. Uh, number one, our problem is sin. And number two, choosing Jesus is the way that we clean it up. That's the thing that we do and convince other people to do. Keep it simple, stupid. Actually, I think we do this quite, quite naturally. So when we read a parable like this one, we immediately assume that we know what it's about. Jesus is telling us what we must do. But then we have this nagging thought as we read it. Gosh, Jesus, you sure could have done a better job telling the story, right? Haven't you thought that a lot of times, reading the parables? When we read the parable and make it simple, we assume it's saying we should be, well, like better sowers. And, and what we sow is good advice, knowledge of good and evil, which we can then use to clean up our act. And when that doesn't quite fit, we, we assume that the story is, is about what we should do to, to be better soil. You know what I mean? By, by trying harder, trying to not be so hard, trying hard to not be so hard, trying not to be so shallow, trying not to grow thorns. That's what we're to do. In short, we assume the parable is about cleaning up our, our act. That, that is how to get rid of our dirt, all of our, all of our dirt. You know, in the Old Testament, there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of laws having to do with ritual cleansing so that the dirt, the dung, and decay don't come in contact with the manifest presence of God. So we assume that God is deeply offended by our dirt. 
And then we assume Jesus is telling us how to cleanse ourselves of all the dirt. And yet, we're made of dirt. Genesis chapter 2. And the good ground in the story is nothing but dirt. So when we make it simple, everything becomes dreadfully complex. When I graduated from the University of Colorado with a degree in geology, I got a job selling Kirby vacuum cleaners <laughs> door to door. Every morning we'd meet down at the office and I'd hold hands with these guys smoking cigarettes and we'd sing this song. Oh, when the Kirby pros go marching in. I think I sang it for you once before. Oh, when the Kirby pros go marching in. Oh yeah, we count our sales by the number for that money we adore. No, I'm not making that up. They, they told us that we had to sing it. So we'd believe that we were saving the world from dirt and getting paid to do it. So when we'd visit someone's house, this is what we'd do. We'd point out the dirt that they were not aware of. And then we'd display the Cadillac of all vacuum cleaners. And then we'd press for a decision and make a deal. I was a terrible vacuum cleaner salesman. I remember my last call was on this young unwed mother who rented an apartment with very little carpet. I remember talking on the phone with my supervisor that was explaining to me how I needed to tell her uh, about all the dead skin in her mattress. I needed to point out the dead skin and the dirt in, in this woman's mattress. That was the day I quit because I remember thinking to myself, the last thing that this young mother needs is a $900 Cadillac of all vacuum sweepers. What she needs is a husband, a good husband on her mattress. That's what she needs, a helper. In college, while I was keeping it simple, I attended this campus crusade for Christ rally one weekend in Dallas. We all gathered in this big room and we sang songs, probably when the saints go marching in. Then they gave us a bunch of information on winning converts for Christ. And then instructions about going out to this parade where we were to proselyze. And then we would come back in the evening and they would hand out awards to those that had won the most souls for Jesus. I remember talking to this family at the parade, a family that seemed to have, be having a, a really great time until, until I showed up. My job was to point out the dirt that they were not aware of and then press them uh, to make a decision after explaining the four spiritual laws, uh, how you clean up the dirt, and then this decision either to A, accept my offer and rid themselves of dirt, or B, reject my offer if they were stupid enough to reject my offer and keep their dirt. I made the pitch, pressed for a decision so we could seal the deal. Now, God has used Campus Crusade in some marvelous and absolutely wonderful ways. But I remember feeling terribly uncomfortable that day. And I think I took it as cowardice on my part. But years later, reflecting on it, I think it may have been a voice. And the voice was saying something like this, Peter, 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 you're selling the wrong thing. Your information won't save them. Their decision won't 
save them. Only I can save them. And you're making it sound like your information and their decision saves them from me. I am salvation. Peter, they don't need your encyclopedia of religious knowledge. They need me. I am salvation. I am the helper. See, I think I felt kind of like this. What you are about to see is a revolutionary new carpet machine that's more than a vacuum, more than a shampooer, more than something else. <laughs> it's the magic carpet wizard, the all-purpose carpet cleaner. <clears throat> All right. Oops, a little dirt. Can your vacuum cleaner clean that up? Yes. Of course it can. But can it clean up this? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, well, and, and how about this? Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, this? No. And how about this? Does this machine clean up ketchup? Oh, we wouldn't call it the magic carpet wizard if it didn't perform miracles. Oh, 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 oh. I, I think I get, I get the point. I get the point. Uh, 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 now, let me see the machine clean it up. First, let's make it tough. Oh. <coughs> Problem for the wizard. Now, that's enough. <laughs> We are going to see this clean up fast and easy. <clears throat> when I plug this in. job. I'm selling encyclopedias. <laughs> That's the Reverend Jim Ignatowski on taxi who doesn't know what he's selling. So what are we selling? Encyclopedias? The knowledge of good and evil, regulations, laws, so we can clean up our act? What are, what are we selling? And whatever it is, are we actually selling it? I mean, are we being sent out to make a deal or announce that a deal has been made? And, and what about the dirt? Aren't we supposed to clean up the dirt? Well, Jesus tells a story about the sower and the seed and then says the seed fell on good dirt, producing fruit, a lot of fruit. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? The disciples said, hey, Jesus, what about K-I-S-S? Keep it simple, stupid. I mean, you had them eating out of your hands. Then you tell this confusing story. You just walk away. Why do you speak to them in parables? Next verse. He answered and said to them, because it has not been given to you, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it it has not been given the mysteries. So number one, the message may be simple, but it's not simply understood, right? It's, It's a mystery, it's a secret. It's not what we would naturally assume. So if we try to keep it simple, the odds are that we simply won't keep it. We'll change it. And number two, Jesus says it must be given. You know, this is, this is weird that the seed is sown everywhere. Like it's, it's given everywhere, right? But understanding it, uh, that also has to be given. It's, it's not our choice to understand. It's someone else's choice. So if I preach to a decision, maybe it's the wrong decision. Maybe I teach people to trust in their own decisions as if they could save themselves by taking knowledge and making good choices. To the Pharisees, Jesus says, woe to you. Why, you travel across sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert. And when you have made him, you have made him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You know, when I stopped witnessing to the people at the parade, I felt like everything was more dirty than when I had arrived. And when Reverend Jim Ignatowski left the lady's house where he tried to peddle encyclopedias for cleaning up dirt, he left everything dirtier than when he had arrived. When I preach the word, like it's a set of laws that folks can just decide to follow, maybe it's like telling people to clean up dirt with more dirt. Because Genesis 2, we're made of dirt. It's not like God won't use that. I mean, after all, God uses the law, he uses the Pharisees. They just could not hear, blessed are you. Next verse. For whoever has, to him will more be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, for this reason, I speak to them in parables. I speak to them in parables because something needs to be taken away. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and shall not perceive. For their heart, the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. That's kind of harsh. Reminds me of Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. God said, behold, the Adam 
the mankind, the Adam, has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the garden to work the ground. And at the entrance of the garden, he placed a flaming sword that turned every which way. It cuts to the division of soul and spirit. It cuts off what needs to be taken away. Well, Jesus says, this is why I speak in parables. Something needs to be taken away. In, in Luke and Mark, he says he speaks in parables not because they don't see, as, as recorded in Matthew, but in Luke and Mark, it's so that they won't see. Like in the original prophecy in, in Hosea, Jesus is quoting from Hosea, Isaiah chapter 6. God tells Isaiah to preach and make, quote, their ears heavy. Make their eyes blind so that Israel won't see, won't hear, won't understand, and won't turn and be healed. And Isaiah cries out, how long, O Lord, how long do I preach, O Lord? And the Lord says, until. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 11. You preach, Isaiah until cities lie waste and the land is desolate. And it's important to remember that Israel is God's land and Jerusalem is God's city. And Paul says that we are God's land, we are God's field, and somehow we are even God's city. Isaiah 6, 13, preach Isaiah, and though a tenth remain, it will be burned again, right down to the stump. Preach until one thing remains, that stump, that root. And then he says, the holy seed is its stump, the city's stump, the land's stump, the earth's stump. Preach until one thing remains, the root. And that is also the holy seed, just, just one seed. You, you remember what we preached a few um, months ago? That the whole Bible is like the story of this one holy seed. In Galatians, Paul points out that the promised seed is not seeds, as in many, but seed, as in one. And it's interesting that in the original language, in the Greek, Jesus really never says seeds. What he says is that which is sown. And when he reveals that that which is sown is a word, which he will in a minute, he doesn't use the, the word words, as in the plural, but word as in singular, logos or logon. In Matthew, he calls it the word of the kingdom. In Mark and Luke, he calls it the, the word of God. So God is the sower. God sows the seed. God speaks the word. And check this out. It's like he speaks this one word everywhere. Everywhere that's anywhere. And it's already been sown. As if in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And all things were made uh, through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. You know, in Genesis 1, God speaks, and creation happens in seven days. In Genesis 2, on the sixth day, he takes Adamah, it means dirt, and he breathes into it. He breathes into it. You, you know, a, a, a word is a breath filled with meaning, logos. God speaks, and man becomes a living soul. Jesus is the word God speaks. Jesus is the holy seed. Jesus is the root of David. And, and like everything, 
the root and the seed, the seed of David. Jesus is the word of God and judgment of God. Jesus is the manifest decision of God. So maybe I'm not to preach for a decision like their decision. Maybe I'm to preach God's decision. I mean, after all, we don't, our job is not to judge the word. The word judges us. It's the word that divides, the sower that decides. I mean, that's pretty simple. But simply not what we would naturally think. That's why the natural man hates this parable. I mean, after all, Jesus is talking as if we're like bags of dirt. And dirt doesn't decide. The sower decides. Dirt isn't even alive. The seed is alive. I mean, oh yeah, it looks dead. But then it comes to life. Dirt doesn't do anything. But the seed does everything. And check this out, it does everything to dirt. Well, Jesus is talking to dirt. Why? Well, maybe his word is doing something to the dirt. Like a seed or a root. You know, the root of a, of a tree can grow deep into the earth and break the rocks into Maybe he's doing something to the dirt, like a seed, or a root, or a sword, or a plow. Jesus is the word. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Maybe the thing that needs to be taken away is the lie that Peter is salvation. The lie that the dirt is salvation. <laughs> My arrogance, my pride, my ego, my self-righteousness, my faith in dirt. Maybe that's what needs to be taken away. So maybe dirt isn't bad, but my faith in dirt, my faith in my own flesh is evil. Maybe dirt isn't bad, but my faith in dirt is, is evil. You, you know... At first glance, because this is interesting to think about too, at first glance, a person might think we should protect the seed from our dirt. Because our dirt seems to kill the seed. But if you really have faith in, in, in your dirt, well, you'll end up protecting your dirt from the seed. <laughs> because in truth, seeds destroy Dirt. They destroy dirt by transforming it into life. I mean, when we clean up dirt, we really don't destroy the dirt, right? We sweep it to the side, put it in a can, but we don't destroy it. We don't destroy the dirt. We hide the dirt. When a seed cleans up dirt, oh, it destroys the dirt by turning the dirt into life. This is what I call, uh, there's a picture of what I call, this is my bedroom, by the way. And that thing in the corner is what I call my life plant. It's a tree that grows from a seed which was given to me by my grandpa when I was in junior high. My wife is getting kind of sick of the tree, I think. But I've cared for it for 40 years, 40 years. Several times I've had to prune it because we don't have space for all the life. And several times I've had to add more dirt to the pot because the seed destroys the dirt by turning it into life. Keep dumping in the dirt. Well, imagine if the life was eternal. Eventually, there'd be no dirt. 
and only life. And so maybe that's what I am. <laughs> An earthen vessel full of dirt containing life. Not, not totally full of dirt because it also contains life. And one day all the dirt will be transformed into life. For the seed makes a tree and the tree takes the dirt and animates the dirt with light light, and, and, and makes life. Eternal life out of temporal dirt. Well, 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 like I was saying, the dirt does nothing and the seed does everything to the dirt. So why is Jesus talking to dirt? Maybe he's speaking a word like a soldier swings a sword or a farmer guides a plow or a sower plants a seed. Verse 16 he says, but blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Blessed are your eyes and your, your, your ears. Blessed. He doesn't ask them to decide anything. He doesn't ask them to do anything. He just plants the seed. Blessed are you. You know, sometimes I'll talk to my kids that way. I don't ask them to decide anything because it's already been decided. I don't ask them to do anything because it's already been done. I just say, <laughs> I love you. I think, I think you're awesome. I just wanted you to know. Sometimes I speak to my wife that way. I'll say, honey, I'm... I'm so glad I married you. I think you're awesome. I, I love you. And she'll say, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And, and I'll say, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that I'm like that. But right now I'm just saying, well, I love you. And I just wanted you to know. And then I often plant a kiss. K-I-S-S. -S. You know, that spells kiss. And maybe it means I love you. The funny thing is, when I just plant that word of love and don't ask them to change, they often do change. And they change without trying. You know, I think that word, that word of love, actually creates my children in my own image. I think that word of love produces fruit in my bride, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, faith self-control. Self Jonathan, Elizabeth, Rebecca, Coleman. It's a good reminder to me to speak that word more often. And now I should tell you, bride of Christ, that in Hebrew and in Greek, there is one word that means both seed and and sperm, and it gets planted in the place of shame, and it bears tremendous fruit. Well, Jesus says to Mary Magdalene and to the 12, blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears, and then he causes them to understand. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower, he says. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside, the path. You know, a path is soil that's become accustomed to receiving persons rather than the seed. So it becomes hard. It's concerned with public opinion, and so it cannot hear God's opinion, God's judgment. The sower still sows his seed, but it, but it doesn't sink in, and then the wicked one devours it like a bird. You know, birds eat seeds by design. Seeds often come encased in fruit so that a bird will eat it. They'll digest uh, the fruit, but not the seed. The seed is deposited on the ground encased in what? Fertilizer, high-grade fertilizer. You know, poop is a necessary ingredient of good soil. It is. Jesus quoted Isaiah in regard to the seed. Isaiah goes on to say, the word of our God will stand forever. That's Isaiah 40. Peter tells us the seed is incorruptible, 1 Peter 1, 23. So you see, the evil one cannot destroy the seed. However, the seed does destroy the works of the devil, the evil one, and not only destroys them, he seems to use them. He uses all that crap to produce very fertile soil. Like Paul writes, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace grows in some pretty nasty crap. In fact, Jesus even tells this parable that we'll study in a few months probably about a tree that won't produce fruit. So the master says, dig around it and dung it. Needs more crap. That's what it needs, crap. Next verse. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This is the second soil. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only, the root in himself, but endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. We all know people like this, right? Or we are people like this. We get all excited about Jesus, but when our faith is tested by trials and tribulations, we cry out, what did I do wrong? Which just reveals that we thought that we were our own savior. The roots of the tree haven't sunk very deep into our soil. You know, when we moved into our new house in Morrison, like I think it was like 15 years ago or so now, the soil was really shallow, and underneath there was a lot of limestone and shale, and it made me mad because things just wouldn't grow. And so this is what I did. I took a pickaxe one day and just went to the backyard, just pickaxing everywhere. And then I ordered this huge truckload of cow manure and ran this giant rototiller and just rototilled the hell out of my backyard. I did. I had a friend who went through a painful, painful, painful divorce. And I used to ask her how she was doing. And she'd say, well, Peter, I've been doing a lot of rototilling. That meant that she was taking out her wrath on her garden with the rototiller. That's what she'd do with her anger. She'd just go out and rototill. And that summer, she had a very fruitful garden. And, and I have a very fertile backyard. In the book of Isaiah, God seems bound and determined to make Israel, his land, fertile. And you really ought to read it. I mean, it's, it's, it's utterly amazing. He tells Isaiah, and, and by the way, I should just say, when you read a book like Isaiah, you tend to freak out and you want to quit. Just keep reading, trusting that God has revealed he's good, okay? But, but read it. He tells Isaiah to preach, and he pours out 
his wrath on, on Israel and the whole earth. Isaiah 9.18, after he tells Isaiah to preach, the land is scorched, the people burn like fire. Isaiah 24.1, behold, the Lord shall empty the earth and make it desolate. Verse 19, the earth is utterly broken. It is split apart and violently shaking. I mean, we're talking about some hardcore rototilling. Then we read stuff like this, Isaiah 25. It keeps going. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will swallow up death forever and wipe tears away from all faces. Then 26, 19, your dead shall live. The bodies shall rise and the earth will give birth to the dead. Verse 35, 1, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom and rejoice with joy and singing. 45, 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, I have decided. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word. That's the holy seed. A word that shall not return. To me every knee will bow and every tongue give praise. 55, 11, my word shall not return void but shall accomplish that for which I sent it. Nothing is more powerful than God's word. Not even you. And especially your dirt. See, in the middle of this parable on the sower, Jesus quotes Isaiah. And in Isaiah, there's some serious rototilling and earth cracking. There's an eternal fire that consumes thorns and a worm that never dies because it eats death. And it all works to reduce everything to dirt, fertile dirt. And then everyone sees this amazing seed, the root that is a seed. It transforms all the dirt into the eternally new and living creation. Well, this, the second soil received the seed. The seed germinated, turned into a person, but the person died. So the seed died. But death is not the end of this seed. And not the end of the dirt. Actually, death and decay turn dirt into fertile soil. You know, the whole earth is rock. And rock turns into dirt. And when it's mixed with death, dung, and decay, it becomes fertile soil. And Isaiah prophesies, it prophesies, prophesies, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. It may take ages. But Jesus is the end of the ages. And he is life. He continues explaining the third soil. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, literally the cares of this age, anxiety over this age and and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful the deceitfulness of riches well that must be like the illusion that we're in control and the anxiety of this age it must be like the false belief that we must take the knowledge of good and evil and make ourselves in the image of god that's why we hide the dirt in good deeds and and fig leaves that's why we clean up our act, but that's what it is. It's an act. It's an imitation self. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, tares are an imitation wheat. They look like wheat, but they're not wheat. When Adam and Eve believed the snake and took the knowledge of good and evil to make themselves in the image of God, they hid their shame in fig leaves and they produced a false self. 
God kicked them out of the garden and cursed the ground with thorns, not because he hated them, but because he loved them and he is determined, bound and determined to show them, you are not your own salvation. I am salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Yahashua, call me Jesus. I am the Holy Seed. I am your husband. I am your helper. I undo the curse, and I make you fertile. Well, you see, when, when we're all anxious about making ourselves fertile, we can't hear him. We don't see him. When we're shallow and terrified of suffering, because suffering is what? It's losing control. We can't see him. We can't hear him. When we're concerned with the judgments of others being, you know, as popular as a well-worn path, we can't see him, we can't hear him. Who, who is our judgment and who is our path? Verse 23, Jesus says to the twelve and to Mary of Magdalene and the women, but he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so Jesus looked at the twelve and the women and he said, Blessed. Blessed are you, my dirtbags. Blessed are you. You're not popular. You're not deceived by the riches of this world. You're, 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 you're poor. You've suffered great tribulation. Blessed, blessed are you. You've suffered, you're poor. Blessed are you, poor in spirit. Blessed are you, meek. And mourning, blessed are you, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You have lost faith in your own righteousness. You have lost faith in what you can do. So now you can see and hear what I do. I'm the seed. Blessed are you, merciful, you, who know that you need mercy because you don't hide the dirt from me. So I don't have to expose the dirt to you. You are the dirt. And I am the seed. You know, a farmer doesn't vacuum up dirt to prepare for the seed. <laughs> now, a housewife will clean up dirt to prepare for visitors, but Jesus isn't just a visitor. A farmer doesn't vacuum up dirt to prepare for the seed. He actually works to expose the dirt to the seed. And then the seed vacuums up the dirt, exposing it to light, turning it into a tree. The tree bears fruit, and the fruit contains what? More seed. So woe to you who hide the dirt in a hard heart filled with stones, covered in thorns. Woe to you who hide the dirt for fear of what people might say and fear of what you might suffer and fear of losing control, the anxiety of this world, this age. Woe to you for you will be rototilled. But blessed are you who are already broken. And so surrender yourself to the seed. For now you can hear the word. I am your salvation. I am love and you are my beloved. 
When you hear it, you will no longer be proud. It will have been taken away. When you hear it, you will no longer be proud. You will be grateful. And you will grow fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith. People will taste the fruit. And there is seed in that fruit. So those people will begin to believe, hey, maybe it's true. God is salvation. Jesus. The fruit may look like a smile or a hug. may sound like a word. I forgive you. I love you. It, it may even sound like a knock on the door and look like some campus crusaders. But they won't sow seeds of fear. I mean, fear has a purpose at a certain point. But if they're preaching the gospel, they won't sow seeds of fear that make you want to hide the dirt. They'll sow seeds of faith, hope, and love that make you want to surrender the dirt. Now, now most of this happens in secret, hidden from this world. But sometimes it's revealed in a St. Paul or a St. Peter or a St. Anne Lamont, for instance, who, who writes a book. In her book, Traveling Mercy, she tells the story of her conversion. In 1984... She had an affair with a married man and got pregnant and then had an abortion. And then she began to drink like a fish. On the seventh night after her abortion, abortion doped and, and, and drunk, she, she could not stop bleeding, utterly disgusted with herself. She, she finally got the bleeding stopped and went to bed. And now she writes this. After a while, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me hunkered down in the corner. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt it was Jesus. And I was appalled. I thought about my life and my brilliant, hilarious, progressive friends. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian, and it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love. I, I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning... He was gone. But then everywhere I went, I had this feeling that a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick him up. She explains how at the end of the week she visited this church that she thought was a bit ridiculous, and, and then she writes this. I began to cry. She was sitting in the service and, and left before the benediction. And I raced home and felt a little cat running along at my heels. And I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams. And I opened the door to my houseboat and I stood there a minute and then I just hung my head and said, F it. I quit. Now she didn't say F it. She said the word and she wrote the word. But my wife thought that many of you thought the word would be too dirty to speak in public. So I didn't speak it, but she spoke it. All right. So she said this, F it. I quit. I hung my head and said, F it. I quit. I took a long, deep breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in. Then she quotes George Herbert. And here, in dust and dirt, oh, here, the lilies of his love appear. Thousands and thousands of people read that, and I bet some of them stopped and said, 
okay, Jesus, you can come in. So Matthew 13, 16, Jesus says to the 12 and Mary of Magdalene, blessed are your eyes because they see. And blessed are your ears because they hear. Blessed. This is, the, this is the 11th beatitude in the Gospel of Matthew. The 12th beatitude is given to Peter. After he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You see, it's a word taking root in the soil that is Peter. Some soil, some fertile soil, for we know that Peter still has some hard places, doesn't he? We know that he has some stones. We know that he has some thorns. But on Friday, Peter is broken, dunged, and sifted. And that same Friday, Jesus hangs on a tree and cries, Father, forgive, and delivers up his spirit. The rocks shake. The tombs are open as if the roots of that tree sink down into the very depths of the earth and break it open. And Peter and Paul tells us that the holy seed, he descended into the depths of the earth and there he preached the word. On Sunday, he rises from the dead. On Pentecost, filled with the Spirit, Peter preaches the word and is still bearing fruit. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, a seed, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. And so he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, the eternal covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Do you hear? Do you see? This is the seed. And you are the dirt. Blessed are you, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, now, while, while I was preaching, you might have been thinking of some of your dirt. Did, did any of you think of dirt? Did you think, oh, yeah, got some, got some dirt. So just do this, okay, and then you, maybe you can do this every morning. But close your eyes, and I, I just want you to think about that dirt. Look at the dirt. Now, it, it may be something kind of simple and obvious, like you did this or you did that thing, or, or maybe you dig a little deeper and you realize, gosh, it was the desire to do this thing or to do that thing. And then you dig a little deeper and you realize, holy crap, everything I do comes out of that desire. And you realize, well, I don't even know that I love love like it all. I mean, maybe some of you, you look at the dirt and you think, Peter, you don't get it. It's like just one massive field of dirt and crap and dead things and plowed up things. Something inside of you thinks I got to cover up the dirt. What are you going to cover it with? That's just more dirt. Oh, I got to hide the dirt. Well, where are you going to hide it? Um, in, inside more dirt? Well, look at that field. And now hear this word. Blessed are you. There's a seed in that field. A 
And now I want you to stop looking at the dirt. Look at the seed. I mean, this encouraged me this week when I was reading Isaiah Gordon. Oh, his job was to preach everybody down till they could see only one thing. And sometimes I feel like, God, the point of every sermon is exactly the same. And I feel like he says to me, yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter. The point is the seed. So look at the seed. Maybe it looks like a piece of broken bread and wine. Maybe it's a stump, it's a root. Look at the seed, watch the seed because it's eternal. It's Jesus. And he tells you who you really are. He's showing you. Believe the gospel. And you will bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.